Or I'm on. There we go. Thank you. Hopefully that brought back some memories uh, for you as you were singing that jingle. I just told Wes, I don't know how we come out of the song we just sang into the jingle into Romans chapter 10, but we're going to do it. So Romans 10, verse 1 through 17. Glad you were here this morning. Um, We start a new series, obviously, uh, on uh, loving our neighbors and being a neighbor and neighboring. So it's going to be on the topic of evangelism. Uh, Don't let that term scare you. Uh, We're going to set that out for you and give you some really practical steps over the next three weeks. So um, let's start. I always like to start with Scripture. Let's start with Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. This is what Paul says to the church in Rome. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you that we can worship you this morning. And in worshiping, we can, all, we can be encouraged that it is finished. It is done. The gospel in song that you have come, you have redeemed, you have paid the price, you have created a way, not through works that we do, but through trust and faith in your saving work and your completed work on the cross. Trusting, believing in that, and then confessing with our mouth, as Paul says here to the church at Rome and to us today. So my prayer is, is that even today, We would affirm that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone, in fact, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that even in the room this morning, as as large as this crowd is, undoubtedly there's someone here 
who does not know you. They do not have a relationship with you. Just because they have come into this place and they attend church does not guarantee being made right with God. That today, your word would go out, the gospel would be heard, hearts would be justified, and mouths would confess that you are Lord and they'll be saved. That's the prayer today. And I pray you would lead us during this time this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, uh, it's good to be back. If I don't know many of you, I'm Ashley. I've been down the road from you for about three months at our new campus in Malding and as the teaching pastor there. I'm honored to be here this morning uh, for Wayne. Wayne is actually there for me. So, uh, so good to be back at a campus that I called home for about 15 years. So a lot of you I do know but it's always good to get back and to see uh, faces I haven't seen in a little while. So um, anyway, today, title of our time today is Why Should I Love My Neighbor? Why Should I Love uh, My Neighbor? The first thought for this morning, I always like to have a first thought that gets the conversation going. Love recognizes and responds to the greatest need. Love recognizes and responds to the greatest need. Now, I don't know how this happens a lot, but we have a Dotson uh, hound at our house. We call him Duke for lots of reasons. Um, I wanted a big name for a small dog. I felt like Duke fit, so that's one of the reasons. Um, but there are a lot of times Duke somehow makes his way into my illustrations. There's always something I can learn from this little dog. And, and one of the things I wanted to touch on this morning that I think illustrate what we're talking about today is all talk and no action. And, and with this little dog, you may, have, you may have a Datsun or maybe you just have a little dog. I believe this has not been, uh, I don't think scientifically proven, but I think he has a little dog complex, Duke does, as maybe a lot of small dogs do. He wants to make sure that everybody knows when they come into the room and he's there that he's the biggest thing in the room, although he is not. He's actually the smallest thing typically in the room. When you are no bigger than a pillow from the couch, right, you have to do something to get people's attention. And Duke is that. He has a small dog complex. He will make himself seem loud. He will make himself seem big. But when the rubber hits the road, as they say, he's usually all talk and no action, right? When you challenge all that bark, typically he turns around and he goes the other way. Dogs, in many ways, are the ultimate example of all talk and no action. Now here, as we go into uh, addressing this question of why should I love my neighbor and should I love my neighbor, maybe you're asking that question as well this morning. If you, if you answered that question, should I love my neighbor, if you define it and if you define love in that statement or in that question as all talk and emotion, then the, and no action, then the answer obviously is yes, of course we should love our, we can easily sit here this morning among each other, comfortable in our pews with, with neighbors and friends that we know are lost. And we can easily say if there are, if there's no action to be done, we can easily say, yes, we should love our neighbor. But then there's, there's no action to back up all the barking. There's all talk, there's all emotion, but there's nothing to go behind it. Our neighbors who are right across the road from us or they work right down the, the cubicle from us or we go to school with them, those friends and neighbors still walk and go throughout their day without being confronted with the gospel. And if we're honest, they're not being confronted with the gospel because you are not telling them about the gospel. I am not telling them about the gospel. 
either how I live my life and or how I speak about my faith. In fact, if I'm honest and you're honest, there may be days where we actually are doing the opposite. We are not communicating a message that meets their greatest need. We have the greatest message that can meet their greatest need. And we're gonna talk about that this morning. Listen, if you're you're like me and this week, we're gonna be challenged by this word this morning. For those of you who who know Christ and have a relationship with him, it, it, it should be a challenge for us this morning. Maybe those in the room who don't know Christ, this is an encouragement to you to hear the gospel, to believe in your heart today and to cry out to God, to call out to him to save you. So today could be, as as scripture says, the day of salvation. If, however, we understand love the way the Bible does, the way you love your neighbor is by introducing them to Jesus. That's how we love our neighbor. That's how you love your friends who don't know Christ. Going over and helping them in their yard is great. Picking them up, giving them a ride is great. Uh, Watching their kids is great. Uh, helping them paint their house is great. Going on a mission trip and doing for them is great. We should do all of those things. But that is as a result of how much we love them. And we should never disconnect those things from why we do what we do. Why am I loving you? Why am I here helping you with your kids? Why am I here helping you with your house? Why am I giving you a ride to this or that? Why are we doing these things? There always must be a connection for the believer to what I do with why I do it. And we're going to talk about the why this morning a little bit. This is our lost neighbors, friends, family. This is their greatest need. It is, as one pastor said, of first importance. This is of first importance. Charles Hodge many years ago said, the first and most pressing duty of the church is to cause all men and women to hear the gospel. That is the first and most pressing duty of the church. You are the church. Those of you who are in Christ, it is not the building. You know that, it is you, the body of Christ. The first and most pressing duty that we have as the church is to cause all men and women to hear the gospel. That's the first and most pressing duty. Now, as we get into Romans chapter 10, what I'd like to do is the first 12 verses, we're not gonna go through all these, so don't worry. I'm not gonna go through 17 verses with you. We're gonna look specifically at verses 13, 14, and 15 for a few minutes. But the reason I read 10, one through 12 is that Paul sets up his rhetorical device in 13, 14, and 15, his, his rhetorical questions, and that's the way he's getting his point across. But the reason Paul asks those questions, he sets all that up in the first 12 verses. The first 12 verses frame the exhortation. The first 12 verses that Paul gives us here frames this challenge. One of the major themes of the entire letter that Paul gives us in the first 12 verses. The way that you and I are made right with God. That's one of the major themes of the letter to the Romans. How are you made right with God? How am I made right with God? Is it about what we do? Paul sets forth his entire theme for this chapter in verse two when he says they have a zeal but without knowledge. In other words, they are very excited and passionate about what they are doing, but it is, they don't know what they're doing. They don't have any knowledge of what they're doing. So that's why Paul can come down to verses 13, 14, and 15 and ask the questions that he asks. How can they hear unless someone goes and tells them? How can they believe? That's why Paul can ask those questions because he spent the first 12 verses setting up that exhortation. He crystallizes the the issue here for us. He focuses it in for us. Either, he puts them in two groups. Either one believes justification by works. In other words, either one believes that you are made right and I am made right with God because of what I do or what I don't do, okay? 
We're surrounded by people today. You may think this is just something only in the New Testament. You are this individual or you are surrounded by people who believe that if they get up and they do good things and more of their good things that they do outweigh the bad things that one day when they leave this earth, which it's appointed for every man to only, and woman to only have a certain number of days on this earth, when they leave this earth, when they get to heaven and they face God, that all the good things that they have done outweigh the bad and he's gonna let them in. Justification by works, based off of what I do, based off of what you do. If I do enough good things, I'm gonna be okay. Our world believes that. They won't sometimes come out and say that, but that's how they live their life, in fear that I'm not doing enough good things. This is contrary to the gospel. That kind of belief is contrary to the gospel. That is not what scripture teaches us. Paul says clearly, I'm made right with God, not because of what I do or don't do, right? But because I believe by faith in what Christ has done. That's how I'm made right with God. Those of you in the room who are believers, that's how you were made right with God. It wasn't because you did something or didn't do something. It's because you believed and trusted in what God and what Christ on the cross had already done. And by believing in that and confessing with your mouth, Paul says you are saved and I'm saved. So that's how Paul frames this. Why is this important? Sinners cannot do anything to make themselves right with God. Before I knew Christ, I couldn't do anything to make myself right with God, even though I tried. This quote by Hodge as well, righteousness is the cardinal doctrine in the religion of sinners. In other words, this is the chief concern or it should be the chief concern of everyone who is not in a relationship with Christ. How am I made right with God? What do I have to do? And Paul answers that pretty clearly. It is belief in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's how we are made right with God. Uh, therefore, a message of hope is to be proclaimed, Paul says, and a response and belief and confession is to be produced. That's the results. There are two realities that we're gonna look at this morning. These are in your notes. If you're taking notes on your app, these two things are there. Two realities of the necessity of the gospel. The first one is this. Everyone, everyone has an opportunity to receive Christ. Everyone has an opportunity. Verses 13 and 14 say this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a quote from the Old Testament. It goes back to the prophet Joel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He was talking in the Old Testament about Yahweh. Paul directly connects Yahweh to Jesus. Everyone who calls on Jesus, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe in your heart, you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. How can they call? We, we continue on to verse 14. How can they call if they have never believed? And then how can they believe if they have never heard? So there is, there is a challenge here to those who have not believed. Everyone has an opportunity to believe and the gospel is presented. And that's why Paul sets all this up in 12 and he gets to verses 13, 14, and 15 where he says, we are presenting this gospel. There are those who are being sent. And as the gospel goes out, as they hear the news of the gospel, the prayer is God would work redeem and justify their hearts and cause them to call on the name of the Lord so that they can be saved. What are the necessary steps of salvation? There are two. Paul links them together here. They're not separate, but you believe in your heart, Paul says in Romans 9 and then 10 as well, and then you call on the name of Christ. It's not enough for you and I just to believe in our heart. 
The Bible says that the demons believe and they tremble. So it's not enough for you, it's not enough for me just to say I believe in everything that preacher up there is saying. I believe that Jesus came. I believe that he died, that he, that he was crucified, that, that he was buried, that he rose again. I believe all of those propositions of God's truth. I believe that. And sometimes we go through our life only believing and never confessing. What Paul is saying here is that you must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and then you will be saved. It's not enough to believe. You remember many times in the New Testament when Jesus would come in contact with those who were uh, filled with demons, legions of demons or, or possessed by demons. When Jesus approached them, what did those individuals do who had those demons inside of them? They recognized who Jesus was right away. Those demons inside knew exactly who Jesus was. It's not enough for us. It's not enough for you just to sit here, hear this knowledge and say in your heart, I believe that. What Paul is saying is that it must it must call us and push us forward to confess with our mouth that you are Lord, Jesus is Lord. That is, that is actually recognizing I am a sinner, you are a sinner, I am in need of a savior and I confess that Jesus is Lord. So that's two parts, two necessary steps of salvation. These steps are not reserved only for the educated, they're not reserved only for the wealthy, only for the elite, only for those who have access to a church on Sunday morning. This is, this is available, this is what Paul is saying is this is available for everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Everyone has an opportunity to come to Christ. We don't consider righteousness on a regular basis. In fact, uh, when is the last time you may have sat there and thought about, man, I wonder if I'm right with God. <laughs> I mean, uh, have, you, have you had that kind of contemplation, that wonderment before where you just sit there? I wonder, I wonder, for those especially who aren't in Christ, maybe today that's you, I wonder how I'm made right with God. Or maybe even for you who have been made right with God, when is the last time you sat and considered and in awe and wonder understood what God has done for you? That he has made you right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. I would say most rarely do this. It's just not a practice we do often. We should, but we don't do it often enough. A better question might be, why would we? Especially for those who are not in, why would you think of this until you have heard the gospel and God begins to do a work in your heart and he calls you into salvation? Why would you think of this? You don't. Our neighbors, our friends, our school, our, our teammates, our whatever, at work, wherever we are, they, will, they are not thinking of these things, how I'm being made right with God, not in this way until they are presented with the gospel. It would be like, or compared to a beggar uh, considering a room at the Ritz-Carlton, why would he? He's on, the, he's on the side of the interstate. Why would he consider that? His, his main concern at the moment is the next meal, is the next place he can find shelter. This is the next place where he can get the handout that he needs. That's his main concern. He wouldn't consider those kinds of things. Our day is typically spent discovering ways to entertain and satisfy ourselves. My day, many of my days, many of your days are spent trying to discover ways in which that I can satisfy or entertain myself. We wake up and our day consists of, what am I gonna to do today that I enjoy? What am I gonna to do today that I like? What can I do today in some way that will benefit me? And it was a challenge to me in my heart this week as we were considering engaging our lost friends with, with a gospel message. We are too distracted to consider anything that dims our own spotlight. We're too distracted. 
So my prayer for me this week, and maybe it would be for you this morning as you hear this, and maybe God is challenging your heart because you know of friends, family, uh, uh, those you go to school with, those you work with, wherever. You know them. They come to mind right away of those who need Christ. My prayer for me this week as I consider all of those that God has put me in contact with who don't know Christ is God cut away the fat because there's a lot of fat in my life. There's a, there, are, there are a lot of things that distract me from being intimately and ultimately considered about the eternal state of my friends and my coworkers and my neighbors. I think too often of myself. I would say, you know, I I see a lot of you in the room that I know well. There are a lot of you that I don't know. I would say just in general for most, most, this is something that most of us wrestle with every day. That I'm too distracted and, and, and thinking too much about what can satisfy me to where I can look out and see lost friends and neighbors that I can share Christ with. I just don't think about it. I don't consider it. It's not important to me. And so God has to do a work in our own life to reduce and take away those things that distract us, that benefit us, that we want to think about all the time so that I can think about those who need to hear the greatest message and the greatest story ever told. Spurgeon said, a sinner's heart is far from satisfaction. Think about your own life. Think about your own journey. Those of you who know Christ in here and have have believed in your heart and confessed that he is Lord and you have come into a saving relationship with Jesus. Some of you, some of you have had tremendous transformation experiences where God has brought you out of extreme darkness into light. You understand intimately this quote where you, you and I, when I, before I came to Christ, tried in many ways in vain to find satisfaction in so many other things until I found satisfaction in a relationship with Christ. That's the only place that we find satisfaction. So a sinner's heart is far from it, far from satisfaction. So everyone has an opportunity. The second reality, everyone has a responsibility. Turning the questions here on their, on their head or turning them around helps us, or helps me anyway, it helped me as I was studying this, follow Paul's uh, rhetorical device. He's asking some rhetorical questions here, not expecting a response. He's just setting up his argument. He's already laid out for us in verses one through 12 why this is necessary. Now he says, here's how it actually would occur. Here's why it's important. And he asks us for these four questions. So here's what I want to do. I want to start with the last question in verse 15, and we're going to work our way backwards. And hopefully through that, you can see the logic progressing. So starting with verse 15 and asking the the last question is this, how are they to preach unless they are sent? How are, they to, how are they to share this good news? And preach literally there means not a preacher up here on stage. That's what some of you may think. Not a preacher at one of our campuses, whether it's Wayne or Dallas or Dustin or Will or, or, or Pat. None, none of that, right? We do have that responsibility, but that's not what the New Testament is talking about when it says preach. Preach literally translated as herald or proclaim. Tell a story. Tell the good news. Proclaim this. And that's what we are being called to do. It's not talking about being up here and technically preaching. It is sharing this word. How are they to preach unless they are sent is the first question. Unless they go out, how are they to preach? Unless they engage their community, unless they engage their neighbors, how are they to do that? Then the second question follows. How are they to hear without someone preaching? Makes sense. How are they to hear unless someone tells them? In other words, they can hear that message on Sunday mornings, yes, in a worship center like this, and and many have. And many have come to faith in Christ. Uh, It's been great to watch and see the baptisms this morning of those giving their their life to Christ. And that is an example of that. Yeah, God works in these environments, but God works in your neighborhood. God works in the hearts of your neighbor. 
God works in your, in your work environment, at school. God is working and he's asking us to be the ones to go and herald and tell. Are we doing that? Am I doing that? Am I engaging my neighbors in order to share the greatest message that they need to hear to address their greatest need? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Hear what? Preach what? The good news. Not your own message, not taking some of this religion and some of this religion and some of this tradition and sprinkling a little gospel on it. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's pretty clear. If you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. The gospel is what we are sharing. Not a mixture of things. Not a mixed bag of things that will make someone feel better about themselves. It is the gospel message that we are called to share. That is the ultimate need that I'm called to address with the message of the good news, with the message of the gospel. The last two questions, how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? How are they to believe in whom they've never heard? Going back to talking about the zeal without knowledge, how are they to believe that if they've never heard the truth? And then the last question, how then are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? Verse 13 again, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I wanna ask this question. It sounds very simple, but I think it's very direct and to the point. Are you saved? Do you know Christ? Would you affirm that decision today? Have you believed in your heart and have you called on the name of the Lord to save you? Does that describe you? Are you saved? In a room this size with this many people, I'm sure there are some in the room that would say no. But maybe this morning God is causing your heart right now to jump out of your chest and all you're hoping and wishing is that this preacher would move on and say the prayer so we could leave. Don't move past that moment. You're not guaranteed to make it home. I've been keenly reminded of that over the last few weeks, of people in my life that I knew whose life was snuffed out in a moment. If God is moving today in your heart and you need to meet him, today is the day of salvation, scripture says. Meet him today. Believe in your heart and call out to him. And scripture says, the one we're studying even today, you will be saved. God will redeem. This is our responsibility, to convey his story, to convey his message, not our own message, the gospel, to go and to preach. How can they believe unless they've heard? How can they hear and how can we preach unless we've been sent? God has sent us into the world. Our challenge for those of us in the room this morning who know Christ is to go and to share. And there are many of you in the room, I'm sure, that are doing that. And you have been doing that and you're consistently doing that. Don't give up hope that God is going to work, that the gospel will produce. As it goes out, it transforms. My wife and I have been married for a few years, more than a few, but a few years. I've learned a few lessons over those years. I've, I've got many more to learn. Okay, I understand that. Many more to learn. One lesson that I've learned in my relationship with my wife, Carrie, is that when she gives me a message that she needs me to share with someone else, I need to convey that message. Okay, I need to listen intently. I don't need to take it and then interpret it and say something else when I'm translating or conveying that message. If I do, there may be consequences to that. 
we're at least going to have a conversation. Okay, husbands, you can affirm that. I've learned, if nothing else, over my 22 years of being married to Kira, to listen a little better. I got to do a whole lot better at that, but I'm listening better today than I, I was 22 years ago. I can say that with all confidence. I listen intently now. When she says, says to me, say this to so-and-so, I make sure I'm communicating that message, not the interpretation of that message, not leaving details out because that will eventually get back and we will have that conversation, right? I listen intently so I can share the message. Why? Because I love my wife. And maybe there's a few consequences if I don't do it the right way, but I love my wife. I wanna communicate what she wants communicated. Listen, the greatest message mankind has ever been given is the message of the gospel. The greatest message. And the reason it's the greatest message is because it it addresses the greatest need. That's why it's the greatest message. Not because I'm telling you uh, this message from up here. Not because you're hearing it in some way. Not because it's phrased in some way. We need to do that. We need to be able to present it in such a way to give give a reason for the hope in which you believe, 1 Peter. But there... The message of the gospel is the message of the gospel, not my interpretation of the gospel. That is the greatest need that our lost friends need. The need is great, and the message is even greater. Final thought for this morning. If you are lost, Jesus is your greatest need. If you are found, Jesus is your greatest message. If you're lost, Jesus is your greatest need, and you can meet him today. You can meet him right where you are. You don't have to come down here. If you're lost, Jesus is your greatest need, period. There's not another need you have in your life if you don't know Christ that is in priority higher than your need for Christ. And then if you are found, if you are in Christ, I am in Christ, Jesus is my greatest message because it addresses the greatest need. I love this story by a pastor named John Murray several years ago, speaking here about the the believing and confessing. To believe is only half the journey. One must call out. One must confess. That's the gospel. That's the message. And he likened it to, or he gave an illustration of as a man tossed overboard into, into an ocean, believes as he looks out and he sees a lifeboat not far from him, as he believes a lifeboat can save him, but will not do so unless he calls out for rescue. The lifeboat will pass him by, he will slip under the waters, lost forever. That is such a clear understanding of what God has called us to do. There are so many that you know, that I know, who are overboard. And they are trying their very best to tread water, but they are getting tired Life is overwhelming them. They need to be rescued and their greatest need needs to be addressed. And they need to call out. And if you're here today and that's you, you can call out today and believe in your heart and Jesus will save you. That's the promise from scripture. For the rest of us who are in Christ and found in him, we are in that lifeboat. Our challenge, your challenge, is to look for those treading water about to go under. And to do, listen, everything we can When we hear them call out, sharing the message to bring them into that boat and rescue them. Jesus is their greatest message. He is the one who saves. And that's what he's called each of us to do today. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you for the challenge this morning of your word. To hear from you, to understand that this is is the greatest need any of our friends or family ever have. that this 
this message of the gospel, the message that we are called to proclaim, the message that we are sent out to give is the greatest message for the greatest need for those who do not know you. And there are all of us in this room, and there are some even in this room, I believe that, who are in that camp of those who do not have a relationship with you. They are not right with God. If they were to die today, they have nothing other than what they have done to lay at your feet when they meet you in heaven to say, is this enough? The answer is gonna be no. The only way, the only way we are made right with you and have a relationship with you is to trust in the saving work of Christ, to believe and confess that. I pray that that happens even this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name.